everyone. Today we have Matt McCambridge, CEO and co-founder of Eden Health on the Pulse podcast. Our purpose is to capture the pulse of healthcare innovation that spans business leaders and others across the healthcare community. Eden Health is a new kind of doctor's office that combines a private primary care practice and 24-7 telemedicine integrated with personalized insurance navigation. Thanks for joining us here today, Matt. Thanks for having me. You have a really interesting background and experience prior to founding Eden, from your venture capital investing experience to nonprofit boards. Can you give us a brief summary of your career path to date and what inspired you to found Eden? Yeah, so first of all, thanks so much for uh, you know inviting me on the podcast. Super excited to talk about uh, healthcare and Eden Health with folks who know healthcare so well. We've had a lot of Wharton folks who've been uh, interns with us and every single one of them has been awesome. So thanks for that. Um, so in terms of kind of what inspired me around getting started with Eden, it really came from watching my sister go through really difficult health problems when she was about 14. And so saw her go through uh, four years of confusing and, and hard health issues where she went to over 70 different specialists. Mm -hmm. She ended up in the ER dozens of times. And really nobody was paying attention to the coordination that is necessary to really navigate these. So the same images and tests were getting done again and again. Um, nobody was paying attention to you know broader concerns around coordination. And so we got really lucky though when four years in there was a primary care provider who wasn't getting paid more money, but um, was starting to coordinate her care. And um, because of that, they were able to get the right prescription or right diagnosis, allowed her to grow out of that and um, you know live a totally full uh, life. And so, you know, it kind of saw the experience of really the problematic pieces of healthcare with the um, really exciting, you know, potential. And so, you know, it took me to college uh, where I met my co-founder, Scott, around the third day of school. And I was an undergrad at Harvard and um, really was interested in the healthcare space. There's some class around that. But fast forward to um, being at Inside Venture Partners, which is a venture capital firm I joined right after college, you know, I got to see kind of upfront and personal all of the really exciting activities that were going on in the uh, healthcare space. And the problem that I kind of identified in the investment side of the house was watching um, these software solutions sit in a broken payments model. So broken in terms of paying for the wrong kinds of things with insurance companies, but then also, um, you know, in that way, they weren't really responsive to the way the providers themselves were operating. So they were, uh, there's very specific workflows that the providers are in that they need to be in every day. And it didn't make sense to sort of um, fragment that. So you have to really think about the entire person's day. You can't say, oh, they're gonna work differently for you know, this small set of patients. So when we were going in starting Eden and you know, part of what was inspiration on that is creating this full stack model. Um, and so bringing together kind of personal experiences along with investing experiences um, was kind of a huge component that made me really passionate and excited to start it. Wow, that's such a fascinating background and story. I think based on a lot of investors who've actually changed into becoming founders, they can bring a lot of their experiences seeing a lot of different companies and their pain points and where they haven't actually solved. So thanks for sharing the story. Yeah. Um, I was curious actually, so going back to when you met your co-founder, Scott, were you guys friends before? How did it all begin? Or you know, were you both interested in healthcare? Yes, yeah, so Scott and I had known each other very well uh, through college. Um, so friends, you know, since the third day of school and afterwards. And, 
You know, I think that what was very helpful was recognizing in each other, um, you know, things that the other person that maybe didn't have or wasn't as excited about doing. So Scott has led um, product for us. He's led a lot of operations work for us and all the things that I know that I'm not as good. Uh, you know, he's an engineer. Uh, he also was an undergrad, uh, was a computer science and English. So he has like two pretty interesting parts of the brain. Um, and so I think we recognize both a passion for solving this space, which is both a personal passion, but also, you know, a systems level issue because if we don't solve healthcare in the United States, we're just going to continue to impact wages, health outcomes, you know, of people of all kinds. And so we kind of came together around that issue. Um, There's this funny kind of moment when we were just launching a company when, um, you know, long story short, we were working on this like PowerPoint presentation. And I was like a little frustrated with some of the, uh, you know, that content of my work right there. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't like doing this. And he was like, man, I don't like calling insurance brokers. And then we had thought that we were kind of like giving the other person the good work um, and we were taking the bad work. And we were like, no, 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 we like the other stuff. And so we switched. And so I think when people think about like launching companies, I know a lot of MBAs do, like finding somebody who fits who's passionate and good at the thing that, you know, you might not be or you're less passionate about. Right. So finding like a complement in terms of your skill sets, but also your interests. Yeah. You make the best co-founder. On campus, we actually have a lot of first years looking for co-founders. So I think that is really relevant. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking, especially MBAs are looking for more technical co-founders. Yes. Well, um, I got lucky with Scott because he, he actually spent some time investing in addition to, you know, doing software and and, and product design. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. find your, the, your unicorn founder. Behind the name Eden, was there a specific reason why you picked Eden? Um, you know, Eden, another word or definition of that is uh, delightful. And so, you know, from our perspective in terms of what we need to do for care is we really wanted to move away from this highly clinical feeling that you have from most of the startups. That's not what, in our view, healthcare is about. It's not what people are looking for. You know, the best healthcare experiences when you really talk to folks is their um, clinician experiences. They have these very human interactions with folks. And so we wanted to connote something that was um, not about clinical care, um, but was about kind of expressing delight and a kind of holistic wellness. Um, and that's why we, we thought Eden was a great name. It is a great name. Um... Can you explain a little bit, diving into Eden's business model and offerings? I know you mentioned a little bit in the beginning when you founded the company and how it solved pain points that you saw with your sister. So um, we've really decided to partner with employers as the first group that we work with. And, and the main reason is, is that they're able to pay for healthcare very differently than other groups in the market. So they cover about 160 million Americans uh, for health insurance, which positions themselves as the largest single kind of unit that, of uh, healthcare buyers in the United States. And so um, what we have focused on from a product standpoint is eliminating the daily problems that patients have, the daily problems that employers have when getting and administering health benefits. And so um, the product that we have designed is one that integrates primary care with mental health care and now physical therapy all stitched together with navigation. And what's so important about navigation is I think people think that when you have a clinical you know, decision point that gets made or a diagnosis, that's where the work of the healthcare system stops. Mm -hmm. And in most cases that's true, but that's kind of really only where it begins. 
Um, so if you, need, you, you next need to maybe get an MRI, you next need to you know, see a specialist. And if that's part of your story, knowing the cost of care, knowing who to go to who's best, um, getting directly connected to them is like a very relevant piece of the healthcare system. So you know, we think navigation is really core and fundamental to uh, the delivery and the appropriate functioning of healthcare. So um, as terms of patient, if you were gonna download our app right now on your phone, you'd be able to use us virtually. We're gonna do two thirds of clinical interactions. And there you get a dedicated care team that's built around you where you can build a patient provider relationship. I think the problem with most virtual solutions today is that it's a new provider every single time. And that doesn't allow you to have continuity of care. It doesn't work for somebody who has complexity. It doesn't work for somebody you know, like my sister. Then we have our physical clinic infrastructure because you do need physical encounters for certain types of things. That just deepens that relationship. And then um, we can go directly to the employer's work site. And so that's what's been able to bring us to um, you know, the thousands in, uh, of patients that we work with today, both directly with employers, but also in partnership with partners like Convene and others. Yeah, I really agree with you. I think having both a physical and virtual presence is important to bring a holistic patient experience. I think there are a lot of startups in the industry or even in primary care that are looking to just have virtual care. And I think it's really unique that Eden is focusing on also the physical component. And you mentioned um, your, you know, you, your patients are able to work with the same doctor or have a little bit more consistency. So that means probably that Eden hires their, their clinicians full-time, right? Yeah, so we've decided to make the um, you know, the product decision and the clinical decision that we need full-time providers. And so uh, they don't see any other patients besides Eden patients. And what that's allowed us to do is do a few things. So one is we have an accreditation called the patient-centered medical home through a body called the NCQA, which is the highest quality certification for primary care in the country. Mm -hmm. And we're the first virtual company to have that. Um, and that means that we are thinking about this patient as you know somebody that we're maintaining an ongoing relationship with, that we're the home base, the first stop for their healthcare. Um, and that's really supported and helped by the fact that these providers are full-time with us. We also see with our employers, you know, the cardinal, like the main problem that most virtual solutions have is getting engagement in the first place. That if you look across the board, that is a stumbling block for every single one of these groups. And so um, by combining both the virtual and in-person care, but also having this consistency, we're able to see out of every 100 employees at a company, we have 77 who will register for our app. And that means we can push specific health information to them, things that are relevant. We'll have 66 who actually use us in a given year. And that means that it's something that is a, a you know, a, they've had a real patient encounter with a clinician, either virtually or in person, something that would end up in an electronic health record system. And so we set a really high bar for ourselves when we talk about engagement because the engagement is supposed to be about creating this patient-provider relationship so that we can you know, support people over time in their healthcare journey. It sounds like you really have um, a strong focus on building a quality relationship with the patient and also reducing cost of care at the same time. I was wondering, do you see this as your competitive moat in general in the space or I guess what do you believe differentiates Eden from other primary care providers? Yeah so I mean I think that in a lot of ways the healthcare system 
from a technology standpoint and from like the next generation of startups is in version one or maybe not even version one. Like, you know, we haven't fully conceptualized as a society or a system, what does it mean to offer virtual care? So I just give you like a basic example here. So our virtual care is on 24 seven, you can message 27 365 and people will wonder like, oh, is virtual care really better, you know, or as good as in-person care? The fact of the matter is, in many cases, it can be dramatically better. So, you know, take an example of somebody who's feeling sick on a Sunday morning, maybe with a fever. Um, if you're jumping on the phone virtually or you're, for that matter, going to see somebody in person for seven minutes, they're going to make a decision in that time and now you got to go with it. But we can see how that fever develops over time, how other more severe symptoms develop over time, how things like behavioral health is starting to change. And so I think that this virtual care uh, component, like the, how close we are to be able to get to patients, uh, is something that uh, we're, we're able to see um, really interesting transitions and really support people over their patient life cycle and then prevent them accessing kind of unnecessary services. Now, I went a little off topic there compared to our competitive moat, but I just think that, you know, the way we think about the system needs to get, get, get blown up in a lot of ways. In terms of our moat, you know, I do think that kind of people are going to be exploring this next generation, but I think that we've been really first to think about integration in this deep way, combining really the most fundamental services out there, primary care, which should be your first stop, uh, whenever you need access to healthcare system, you know, behavioral health care, which affects a huge percentage of folks, and especially if you have chronic conditions, you know, dealing with the behavioral health and mental health implications of that. Physical therapy, which is uh, one of the most common referral pieces out of primary care, and then stitching together with the platform allows you like navigation to be the first point of access. You know, I think that that model it's complicated from a technology standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, from a delivery standpoint. You know, that is I would say the moat you know that we're uh, kind of have today. Mm -hmm. And do you see competitors sort of entering the space, or like where do you see sort of the competitive landscape given? where the industry is moving in terms of prevention of care and a lot of behavioral health companies coming into the scene. I mean, I would love to see more competitors in the landscape. You know, <laughs> I think that um, candidly, it just means that it's like kind of the right time in the market. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, you are kind of in a variety of different ways seeing competitors, right? You've got like kind of first generation of uh, primary care that really, really in one medical where they really were, have, were the first startup that kind of popularized this concept of direct-to-consumer primary care. So I think it's super exciting. You know, you've got hospital systems that are being mobilized, um, you know, in some cases faster than, than others, um, but to think about their people in this consumer-oriented way. And so, you know, I don't, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I don't necessarily need to have somebody who's doing my exact same, you know, concept and our exact same, you know, company it's to think of thing. them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, uh, but I do think that having, um, you know, folks who are out there thinking about inventing something different, um, whether it's systems who see, you know, Kaiser sees 12 million people. Um, right. You know, it took them 70 years to, to see that, but they, they got 12 million people. That is like true, true scale. So I'd love to see more um, innovation really from these, these huge incumbents in the space. And bringing back to sort of, um, you mentioned One Medical sort of revolutionizing direct to consumers and selling directly to consumers in terms of memberships. Where do you see, like when you thought about Eden, like whether you should sell direct to consumers or the route you picked in terms of selling to employers, what is your perspective on the two routes? And do you think that the industry is moving towards one direction or do you think there is room for both? Yeah, 
I mean, the reality of the situation is that healthcare is extremely costly. And so you need to find a group that's going to subsidize healthcare for a majority of folks. And so, you know, if someone doesn't want to buy health insurance and then say, oh, now I have to pay more money to have access to healthcare. So the reason that we decided to go to employers is because they can really fix the way that healthcare is paid for and incentivized, especially at the primary care level. Um, and we have decided that um, they require a specific kind of product, but they also enable us to create a differentiated new kind of product. So if we were gonna serve consumers in addition to employers, I think we would have a pretty different experience um, from, a, from a product standpoint. Um, the other thing it allows us to do is serve folks, you know, we serve people who are on the front lines of hospitality groups in addition to the CEOs of the companies. And so um, I think that the employers really make it accessible for folks of, you know, of all kinds to have access to care. And that was an important part about what we were thinking about when we were initially going out and launching Eden. Great. And it sounds like, you know, you've partnered with many employers today. Um, serving over tens of thousands of patients. As you look to scale to Series B size, what are the top three most important growth levers you're hoping to leverage for Eden? Or like, what are you thinking about in terms of scaling to the next level? We currently provide care across the country, and so from a virtual care standpoint. Um, and so I basically kind of break out um, growth, you know, so to speak, in a couple different ways. So one is the uh, those groups, those employers um, who are sponsoring. And so, you know, as we've grown our sales team, grown our marketing, doing things like podcasts, uh, <laughs> getting the word out there on Eden, you know, that's one component of it. And it took us, you know, uh, two and a half you know, years of care delivery to um, really have rock solid quality data, cost savings data, engagement data. And that's important because if you're an employer of any size, you know, you're, you're, you're hesitate you know, to go for somebody who's totally you know, unproven. And so now that we've been able to prove out these things and validate them with external resources, you know, it's really about bringing the message to as many folks as we can. And, and for people who are looking to do things differently, looking to engage their population, think about the way care is delivered differently, I think we're a great partner there. The second um, component that I think about is um, in terms of the product itself, expanding the product. So when we first launched, we were doing primary care and navigation. Then we added behavioral health. I mean, we talked a little bit about why I think behavioral health is important. We can dig in that more, but um, physical therapy. Um, but we don't necessarily have to stop there. And so whether we're doing it uh, directly or there's partners um, say around diabetes management or partners who are doing other kind of specialty care or having the ability to partner with hospital systems to do bundled payments. Like there's so many opportunities there in terms of bringing that to the, uh, the employers and so I, rather our patients and the employers. And so both in just new sales, but um, also in terms of service expansion, like once you have somebody who trusts you as their source for, for healthcare, how else can you support them uh, along that healthcare journey? And so those are the two areas that we're thinking of continuing to expand on. Eden's known for their pop-up clinics. Congratulations on the Kaveen partnership. I'd like to hear what you think about the partnership, the progress you've made so far. We're in a Kaveen workspace right now, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really nice. It smells really nice. Yeah, well, yeah, it does smell nice. Uh, they've got delicious snacks and you know all sorts <laughs> of coffee, which is important startup fuel, as we all know. Um, so, I mean, uh, I appreciate that. And 
from our perspective, you know, it kind of goes deeper into what I was talking, you know, what we've kind of been talking about from the beginning with regard to physical component in addition to virtual care. Um, you know, groups who are thinking about physical space differently, like convene, creating an ecosystem, a community environment, you know, that's where real estate and um, these physical spaces are really moving into. And so, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that your uh, mental health, right, your physical health, it doesn't just stop, you know, as you when you walk into the door of your uh, employer, um, it, it is continuous. And so, you know, what we want to do is keep aligning ourselves to employers who are thinking about healthcare delivery differently. But we also want to align ourselves to groups like Convene who are thinking of physical spaces differently and, you know, be partner with them. And, um, we think that's going to help expand our own reach um, as well, and as we've seen with with Convene and our other uh, real estate partners as well. What is like a Convene pop up clinic look like? Yeah, so we actually do two things. One is we have permanent locations and Convenes, and so oh, wow. that's one thing where they're primary care offices full time. Um, you know, our providers, uh, clinicians, and, and they're able to see patients all the time. But what a pop-up clinic looks like is basically sending a provider uh, to a location like an employer group, um, having all the equipment and everything there, um, providing care directly on site. And what's actually really important is um, integrating on the virtual side. And so, you know, there's been for actually Kaiser, interestingly, grew out of working with unions um, in the local area as a healthcare provider directly to unions. And so kind of like this healthcare sponsorship through employers uh, or unions in some way has been just a feature forever. But, you know, sending a clinician on site, um, uh, doing care there, but then connecting in a continuous way into the virtual care services, I think is really, really important. So you used to have things that are like biometric screens where you would do like five minutes with somebody, you tell them, hey, you know, you're, you're sick, your numbers are bad, um, but uh, we can't do anything for you. And so just go on your way and you go figure it out yourself. Um, so I think that keeping the continuity and really leveraging the fact that technology is in a position where um, people can have continuous experiences um, is sort of, I think, what's made pop-up successful and not just like what it used to be when you would, as I said, just kind of give somebody their, their vital signs and, and say they need to change their, change their diet, change their behavior. It sounds like pop-up clinics and also Eden's platform allows much more direct and community access. So I remember when I was trying to book a doctor's appointment, it would take over a month to even find a physician. I was wondering how do you make sure you know you're, you have availability across your your doctor's time, or what sort of business practices do you use to make sure that your employees can actually see a doctor when they need to? Yeah, so that, um, you know, it's interesting when you said that the you can't get an appointment at a primary care for 30 days. So at that point, it almost doesn't deserve to be called primary care, right? right? Because it's easier to go to the ER, it's easier to go to anywhere else. I have gone so, to the ER and replacement. Exactly. <laughs> it's expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> um, so for us, um, you know, again, this goes back to employer partnerships, but also understanding the volume that we get. And so if we partner with employers, we know exactly the number of patients we're going to have because we've done it before at this point. So we know here's when the patients are going to come on board, here's the time of days that are important, and what have you. And so um, we can staff 
staff uh, both our locations, but also um, with our providers, we can staff at the appropriate times to make sure we're meeting that demand. And so virtually, um, you're able to get in touch almost immediately. You know, this today we average a seven-minute response time, wow. um, and then you have a continuous patient experience virtually. Um, you know, in person, um, we almost always have same-day appointments, um, and if not same day, then we you know the early the next day. That's fantastic. I need to get an employer with Eden. <laughs> exactly, yes. We'll talk to Wharton. <laughs> um, moving towards sort of the entrepreneurship side, um, we'd love to hear sort of your, you know, what you inspired you to become an entrepreneur. I think a lot of MBA students have shifting towards thinking about starting businesses in school or even after school. Um, and I recently learned that your brother is also an entrepreneur. So sort of like, was there something in your house that made you... Um, think about entrepreneurship, was it your family, or was it sort of, or maybe you inspired your brother? <laughs> <laughs> I think we inspire each other on a daily basis. Uh, no. So when, for me, um, I had never been a person who was like, I really feel the need to start a business. Um, you know, I'm pretty passionate about education in addition to healthcare. Uh, I found a lot of folks who are interested in healthcare are very interested in education. Um, but you know, I basically uh, got obsessed with this idea, and this was the thing that I knew that I absolutely wanted to work on. And so I think I was in a lucky enough space um, and really supportive uh, family, uh, you know, throughout my whole life um, to really tackle that and go after it and get excited about it and deliver it. And so you know, when I got passionate and excited by this idea. Uh, I just felt like it should exist in the world, and I was confused why it didn't. Um, and then, of course, you know, found out tons of things about healthcare along the way that I didn't know at the beginning. Um, but that was really the thing for me. I was just obsessed with this concept and, and making it happen. And according to you, what is the most important characteristic of being an entrepreneur? You obviously have to be slightly stupid at the beginning, uh, the beginning <laughs> you can do it, um, so that's important. Um, but the real answer for me, it has to be persistence. Right. Um, you know, my co-founder and I made a decision when we were first launching the company that we wouldn't raise any money, we wouldn't hire anybody, and um, we actually wouldn't build any product until we made our first sale. Um, and the reason that we decided to do that was because we wanted to validate that this thing needed to exist, exist in the world. And we were able to do that with an awesome first customer by the name of NewsCred, uh, which is still a customer today. And um, then we were able to grow from there. Um, and so I think about the important part of being an entrepreneur is really you have to persist through that because there's a lot of times where we could have said, no, uh, let's not do it. And of course, that comes up a zillion different ways uh, as you're actually starting and launching the company. Uh, How difficult was your first sale before having a product? Well, yeah, it was not easy, I wouldn't <laughs> say. Um, the main thing that we had to be able to do was look somebody in the eye and tell them <laughs> that we could take care of all of their employees from a primary care standpoint. And so the funny thing about it is, you know, the MVP, the most, you know, minimum viable product of uh, primary care is actually uh, like really a doctor in a doctor's office, right? right? It's not like you can like slouch on your primary care delivery and call primary care. So, um, you know, we need to, to have somebody who really believed in this problem and believed in our ability to solve it. And, and it, it took a you know it took a, a while to make that happen. There's all sorts of pre, uh, hilarious PowerPoint presentations that we look at um, you know from early days, and uh, we actually did that recently. And you know some of them were actually pretty good, so I get it. I know why they bought. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess like when you were fundraising, were you thinking about 
did you sell your first product to NewsCred before fundraising or did you fundraise before selling your first product? Yeah, we did um, sell the first product before we started fundraising. Um, I mean, healthcare is such a, I think the one thing that makes it hard in healthcare is that who pays for things is very confusing. And so, you know, I see a lot of people trying to create products, um, selling to folks who it would never make sense to them to pay for it because, you know, they're not actually the person who's benefiting. And so you have this kind of two-step issue of there's insurance companies, right? Um, there's employers, there's doctors, there's hospital systems, all that are paid different ways. All of them are getting incentivized differently. And so I think really having a good understanding of where the money is, is coming from is important. So when we thought about raising venture money for us it was important that we'd identified the actual group who's going to pay and that they felt that they were going to get value uh, from the thing that we're offering um, because it's it's all well and good to say that you know they will but until they actually you know put you know, their money where their mouth is or time where their mouth is whatever it is um, you don't really know did you feel like your experiences in VC helped you think about the fundraising process in a more strategic way? Or I guess I'm curious sort of how you translated the skill sets and experiences you've gained beyond seeing pain points from you know other people's pitch decks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there's no question that having exposure on the venture capital side is helpful um, for fundraising. I mean, it just gives you a common vocabulary, gives you an understanding of how they like things to be presented. You know, venture capital, they have specific needs and requirements that are unique to their industry. And, you know, it's, it's humanizing to remember that venture people who are venture capital have bosses, um, which is their LPs. People give them, you know, money as well. And right. so um, they need, they have certain incentives that you need to understand. Um, and they have certain preferences uh, that make sense for their business. So, you know, it's not um, obvious necessarily uh, the, you know how to do it. I think there's a book, and uh, I'm sorry if I get the book name wrong, but it's like called Secrets of Sand Hill Road. Yeah, uh, it's by one of the Andreessen partners, and that uh, I think is helpful, helpful primer uh, in case you maybe haven't spent time in venture. That's helpful. Maybe we can recommend people and our listeners. To yeah, and give me read the affiliate revenue. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure that <laughs> hopefully, it's donated. <laughs> and when you're looking for investors, um, were you looking? You know, what were you looking for in terms of? Were you very picky? about who you wanted to work with, who you wanted to be, you know, your advisors. Yeah, so you have a couple levers um, as an entrepreneur. It's, um, of course, you have investors who are phenomenal partners and, and that's great. And you should find them because, you know, not all investors are created equal and they, uh, it's a long-term, you know, partnership. Um, we have people, you know, from the investment side that we've known for years and, you know, are talked to weekly. And so, and that side of things, um, you make sure you, you select that correctly. Um, but also, you know, there's an opportunity you have with advisors as well. And I think that some of the advisors can be the most valuable people. Um, and just realize that you have, you know, not everybody's going to want to talk to you, um, but you know, you'll get rejected and you'll try again. But like, um, there are, you have value that you can offer to them because it's exciting, it's cool. Like startups are uh, very cool, <laughs> and uh, for a lot of advisors, and especially in healthcare, who just want to be involved with the next wave of innovation. And if you find find somebody who has been frustrated, you know, that they haven't seen it necessarily in their career, they're going to want to get involved and support you. So I think that you can think about. Um, 
the support you get from investors, but if you really find phenomenal advisors, um, they can be transformative because oftentimes they've been through your shoes in the same way that that you know uh, that you're about to go through, and they can really they can really be helpful. Right, and so moving towards um, our business school audience, or maybe you know generally our audience who are looking for their next gig or in their next internship or job, I'm curious, you know, what is it like to work here? What do you see as Eden's culture? You should definitely just walk around and you know ask people around. They'll give, me, they'll give better answers than I will. Um, the first thing you got to do is hire MBA interns from. Women. I think that's the number one most important thing to support your culture. Uh, but beyond that, um, you know, uh, we we've taken the position that having a clearly articulated mission, vision statement, you know, values are really important uh, for the organization. And you see that as you scale, people need to make decisions on a daily basis. And those decisions are going to be um, based on these cultural norms uh, that are ideally articulated in your values, you know, whether or not you expect them to. So whether they're informal or formal values, you know, that's how people are gonna start to make decisions. And so uh, my favorite, so our first value is, is patience first, uh, which is an absolutely uh, central value because it articulates how we're creating value is by putting the patients first, right? Um, but in terms of how we actually conduct ourselves from a cultural standpoint is um, there's a speak up and act with conviction, which is my favorite value that we have. And so what that's about is you need to speak your voice in terms of both soliciting, asking for uh, thoughts on your ideas, but also challenging ideas. But then once we choose to move forward as a team, you need to go full steam ahead, act with conviction, make sure that's executed upon. And so, you know, I think I have one hope for our culture and I believe we've, we've done a good job building it to really um, live that value um, uh, really fully. That's really inspiring. For those who are looking for the next role, I was wondering, so as you look to scale up, what types of roles are you looking for? I understand you're probably hiring quite a bit as a startup in general, but I'd love to hear sort of where you see there are pieces where people can fit into. Yeah, so I mean, you know, if you're looking for a role, like you have to be able at a at a real startup, you have to be able to roll up your sleeves, and you can't be above doing certain things. Right. You know, you it's just all hands on deck. Um, and so, I think that being a really key team player is important. So, you know, you might be hired into focusing on marketing or you know whatever business development type type work, um, but you cannot be above supporting other parts of the organization um, because the, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a full-time job to be, to be in a startup. Um, and so, I mean, I do think that MBA, um, actually one of our medical directors, Dr. Brendan Sullivan, uh, has an MBA as well. And so, you know, I think it gives you this organizational framework um, for um, thinking about how to operate in a company, but then, um, and, and that could be enhanced in a variety of ways, whether it's by having an MD or, or other sort of degrees, but it doesn't work alone necessarily. You're gonna find very few true startups that are looking for pure business development roles where you can spend your time thinking about strategizing or whatever. You know, we want people who have, are typically, frankly, willing to go into the more finance, more uh, sales, more marketing, kind of more that side of the house if you have an MBA. Uh, could make sense on an operational standpoint, but we probably want to see some operational experience. So um, 
I'm not sure there's a you know one size fits all. Like everybody's different. Like the MBA people get you know different things out of it, and they've had different experiences before. But I think it could provide a great kind of starting point. That willingness to really roll up your sleeves is the thing that I think was most important. It sounds like the perks of joining a startup is to be able to work on a lot of different roles, not just focus on business development. You can totally. also try marketing. You can also try executing as a more of an operating side. It also sounds like a lot of foreign MBAs that actually worked at Eden say that they want to start a company afterwards, and I think it's a really great way to observe you as a founder and also understand how culture is built up from 10 people to scaling up to the size that you are today. Yeah, it's about getting your foot in the door at a group, and then you can grow, you know, as the company grows into all sorts of different roles. You know, our first ever employee has um, had. A million different you know roles on a daily basis and then has taken over huge functions for us and so I think that uh, you know similarly with an MBA like you can start in one area but um, there's a lot of scale capacity that you can go to as well great and so we're gonna wrap up our podcast I'd love to see if you have one lesson from entrepreneurship that you would like to share with the Warren community yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be similar to the most important characteristics. I mean, really persevere um, through the idea. And I think as part of that, choose something you're actually passionate about. Um, you're going to be working every single day for a long hours on it. <laughs> and yeah, you've got to be uh, interested from that whole time and, um, you know, for years. And so I think that's important in addition to um, kind of how you want to act with an entrepreneur, uh, what gets you excited and make sure you're really follow, following through on that. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on the Pulse podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me.